Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hi, you Road to Growth listeners. Today I have Lizzie Horvitz. Did I say that? Horvitz? Yep, you got it. Oh my gosh, man. I'm per perfect at this. <laughs> All right. Founder and CEO of Finch, not the movie Finch. If you're if you're uh, listening to this later on after the movie, uh, the Tom Hanks movie on I uh, Apple Play or Apple something Apple TV came out. It's a different, whole other subject. So, but thank you, Lizzie, for being here. And I gotta start off when because you've had this this company, this website, this blog for a while. I know it's built off a. Uh, of a bird, I guess, right? The the finch, like we talked about before. I'm gonna pretend like I knew that before we talked, you know. So maybe the listeners wouldn't know, but I gotta tell them that. <laughs> um, but then something like this comes out, where it's a couple years later after you've kind of built your brand. How does how did this play out? What's the mindset? What goes on in your head when this kind of happens? Positive, negative? It's a really good question, Vinny, and thanks so much for having me. Um, so I started a newsletter about four years ago, and it was called The Green Lizard. My name is Lizzie, a nickname is Lizard. So I thought that was a super clever name for the newsletter. When that became a, a real company, my full-time job, I, I have some brilliant branding people who I'm still working with to this day. And they said to me, uh, you know, we'll keep Green Lizard if you care a lot, but you're making our jobs a lot harder because Green Lizard is, is tough to sell to make it sound sophisticated, et cetera. So we did this whole naming workshop. We came up with 60 names. We narrowed it down to Finch, mostly because um, Charles Darwin started, uh, studied finches. They're one of the most adaptable species on the planet. And we like to think of our of our consumers as adaptable too. They're living in urban environments, rural environments, et cetera. And so we loved Finch and something that was important to me was I think that people like the idea of something better than the name. I, I never thought that the name was, you know, people don't use Instagram because of the name or Twitter or Apple. Um, but that said, I also wanted to steer clear of some things where people would say, well, that's a silly name. And so I didn't want anything misspelled. I didn't want sort of double adjectives, double adjectives or vowels, excuse me, or anything like that. Um, and so we've loved Finch. And so long-winded answer to your question is we expect things like this to happen. Um, we're sort of making a joke out of it. We'll post on Instagram, like, thank you so much to Tom Hanks for endorsing us. He's not disclaimer, but um, we we're just making fun of it. We don't think it's, it's necessarily a problem from an SEO standpoint. There are other companies called Finch that are probably still even more known than, than our own. Um, and so it's okay. And hopefully this can be a door for, for me to meet Tom Hanks, which is obviously the dream, right? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Do you think, and, and this is kind of just going back, because I think you have a very positive way of looking at a situation that happened. And I think as business owners, sometimes we look at a, a situation either as a problem or as opportunity. And it really sounds like you're using this as an opportunity. Do you think a younger you would have looked at it that way? Or do you think it would have been looked at a different way? It's a really good question. And I think it took a lot of practice, but it's absolutely a, um, it's a purposeful thing to try to look at things as opportunities. I came from a startup experience that was pretty problematic for a number of reasons. The CEO and I did not see eye to eye and as COO, um, 
the second in command, it was tough for us not to be on the same page. And so that could have been a really miserable experience. Um, and instead, I sort of took that as this is going to get me to the next level. This is going to help me work through any type of challenges or adversities and, and have to force myself to be working with people in inopportune times um, often. And so I think the younger me would definitely not have taken this. There, there would have been a lot of potential to sort of just shut everything down. But when you're working at a startup 24 seven, um, you know, the yield is pretty low of the things that are going to go perfectly in your, in your direction. And so you sort of just have to have to roll with it. Now, I just realized we're about four minutes into to the podcast and we haven't really defined what your company does. And so I'm going to go back to, I guess, finding opportunity and excitement and everything. So Finch, what they do is basically they're kind of the one stop shop. Is that product OK to use for the environment? They're going to dissect it, kind of give you more information about it and allow you to say, OK, I want to make a conscious decision, not for myself, but maybe for my kids, my grandkids. Am I doing right by them with the products that I'm purchasing? Is that kind of a rough assessment, Lizzie? Absolutely. Sure. And so I I fell in love with sustainability and climate change uh, work when I was 16. So I feel really, really lucky that I think I found this calling earlier than a lot of my peers um, did. And ever since then, I have been, because I've dedicated my life to this, I've been the, the person, the go-to for my family and friends on what's this ingredient doing in my deodorant? Or I just had a baby, help me buy the right diapers. I don't want to make the wrong decisions. I think increasingly, much more so than in 2004, when I was first exposed to this, people understand that climate change is happening. And, you know, while, while we know that governments will play a huge part, uh, there's a lot that individuals can do as well. And what we found was that the content online was so difficult to sift through. You had these wonky academic papers, which are not meant for normal people to be reading. And then on the other side, we have this rise of bloggers who are incredibly well-intentioned, but not saying anything really based in data or science, right? There's a lot of, this is eco-friendly, this is all natural. Those don't mean anything and they're not regulated. And so when my friends and family would ask me these questions, I would have to do a ton of digging. And it was really hard for me, who has a master's degree in this, to find the right answers. And so I realized, you know, what happens to all those people who don't have me on their speed dial who want to make the right decisions and probably end up giving up um, because they don't have more than seven minutes to research this. And so that was sort of the birth of, of Finch. How often is information changing that like, let's say <clears throat> something you might have <clears throat> written about maybe two years ago, three years ago, but now there's new data saying, well, this actually is not as bad as it seemed before, or this actually is worse than we thought it was before. Does that change constantly or is it fairly consistent or how does that, that work out for you? It changes constantly in two unique ways. The first is just the ecosystem is changing so much where our PhD on the team is reading scientific papers that was that were published a month ago. And so this a lot of this research is becoming more and more top of mind and is just, just emerging. And so um, we would imagine not in huge ways, but some things going to be changing at least once a month um, in terms of our of our data. The other way it's changing for Finch specifically is that we are only one team. We have not a huge amount of resources at the moment. And so we have made a rule to only implement attributes, we call them, if we know that the science is clear. So in other words, like 
there's a lot of science on the manufacturing location having to do with um, the footprint of a product. We feel comfortable putting that in there. On the other hand, microplastics we know are a massive problem. They're increasingly, you know, becoming more and more of an issue in a lot of different product categories. The research isn't there yet for us. And so we, that's not incorporated into the score of a product. And so for us, we sort of depend on these lifetime users to stick with us where we can say right now we we only we're super transparent you can check on our website right now we've only incorporated you know 17 attributes of the 80 we've identified that have to do with the sustainability of a product now let's rewind to a to a young was you talked about it kind of briefly that people would come to you you know at 16 right? Uh, asking you kind of questions about these different products, even at a long, younger Lizzie, were you the one that was kind of picking things up or saying, Hey, we can't buy this. Or what did that look like when you're younger? Oh my gosh. It was completely different. So I really wanted to be a famous actress or singer. I like was obsessed with the Academy Awards. I dress up every year. I was like obsessed. And then I realized um, that I wasn't that good. And that it was really fun, but like that probably wasn't a, a good path to go down to sort of hang my hat on in terms of a career, um, even even at that age. So you can imagine how bad I was. Um, what happened was I was at the same school from preschool all the way through 12th grade. And in eighth or ninth grade, my wonderful parents were like, "What? what's what's your story? Like, do you want to stay here for four years? Do you want to go to another school? Like what's going on? It's, it's a lot with the same 60 girls in one school. And our school offered this experience to go and live off the grid in the Bahamas for three months. Um, and I honestly think had it been like an astronaut experience, I probably would have wanted to do something in space. Like it had nothing to do. And I'm confident in saying that it had nothing to do with climate change specifically, it was at that ripe age of 16, where I was sort of craving something to be passionate about that really just clicked and, and I stuck with it. Now you from there, when did you go from the start? Did you did you go to college? Or did you go directly to a startup afterwards? Or what was the process? So I went to college, I majored in environmental studies in college. And then I went to go work for the nonprofit sector. Um, I sort of graduated from college and didn't know, I knew I wanted to do something in environmental issues, but didn't know where that really stood. And um, so I worked for the Natural Resources Defense Council was the worst place to start your career because it's the best place to work. And so you go into this experience and you're like, oh my gosh, the real world is amazing. And then you realize that that's pretty unique. So I was there for two years and I really started thinking about the fact that the world's largest problems are going to be solved in the private sector, um, whether we like it or not. I think, as I briefly mentioned, you know, there's going to be government intervention, the nonprofits are crucial, but if we don't change these companies from within, I don't think there's any hope in in moving things forward in terms of consumerism. So I went to go get my MBA and my master's in environmental management. And then I went to go work for Unilever, which is one of the most massive companies in, in consumer packaged goods, and was working on their supply chain team and on their sustainability team, helping integrate the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan into their 38 brands in North America. And I know you, you probably want to get to this at some point, but in terms of challenges, that was huge for me because I had really since college expected to have a job like what I had at Unilever. It was sort of like, oh my gosh, I've made it and I'm only 28 years old at the time. Um, and it was a horrible experience, to be honest. Unilever is a fantastic company. I have nothing bad to say about the company itself. I 
Um, I just didn't have luck in the space. I didn't have a good mentor. I got lost in the mix of this massive, massive company. So then I had to take a step back and think, okay, if this is what I've been planning on for my whole career, where to go next? And it was a blank slate. And I had the opportunity to join this startup at a really young stage and completely fell in love with entrepreneurship, taking a company from inception to scale. I loved the lack of monotony that every single day you're dealing with a different set of issues. Every three months, it feels like you're working for a completely different company. And at the time I had this newsletter, Green Lizard, and realized, you know, I think I could take this startup mindset and, and make it my own. Let, let's rewind a little bit. So you, you said when you joined that the, the company, right, you didn't have a good mentor, right? Mm -hmm. Did you, were you aware that it was the environment that you were in that wasn't right? Or was there any kind of internal like blaming going, oh my gosh, I put this plan together and it's not working out as I envisioned? Or did you know from the start that it was actually the environment that you're in, that you're just in the wrong environment? I remember on day one, I had just graduated from graduate school. I had taken a couple months off. So I was starting in, in August of 2016. And within an hour, I was like, I've made a horrible mistake and this is not where I belong. Um, I think partly it was, um, I was so focused on the impact that I was able to make at a place like Unilever. You know, if you have any uh, responsibility in changing a tiny part of the palm oil supply chain or anything like that, that has massive global implications at that scale. I mean, we were moving all of Ben and Jerry's around the entire world. It was fantastic. Um, the culture fit wasn't there for me. I think um, I, because I was in the supply chain team, I wasn't surrounded by people who were also passionate about sustainability. And that's no fault of anybody else but my own. I didn't realize that that was a really important thing for me. I, I really, it's important to me to be surrounded by people who share similar values and are similar. And so I think now when I, when I mentor younger people, I always tell them to sort of look at culture and impact. And it's really tough early in your career to get both of those right. But um, you really have to learn about yourself. What's, what's most important to me. Now, I guess given given the advice you're giving to people that you're mentoring now, your mentees, I mean, how would they find if if that company, that entity that they plan to work with, does have the culture they're looking for, is going to make those changes? What is there any suggestions that you offer to them? If they're not, if they realize that the company is not going to do that, or is well, it if, if they're looking for looking for opportunity, looking for a job, and they they find basically one or two opportunities, is there something that maybe going back to just I guess you, is there something you could have done? before you signed up with that company to say, hey, this is not a good fit for me. Is there, looking back, is there anything you could have done or is it you only know the culture until you actually get there? You know, I feel very mixed about it because in the time it was obviously not ideal. I won't sugarcoat it. And again, I want to highlight, yeah. you know, it was an amazing company. It just, it was like a, a personal experience of my own. Um, I was thinking a lot about the long term and I knew that if I I knew that they didn't hire, you know, heads of sustainability at Unilever outside of Unilever, right? That normally comes from within. And so I knew I had to get my foot in the door. So I was sort of laser focused on on that long-term trajectory. Um, which I don't regret. Like had do I think those three years could have been happier career-wise? 100 percent but I don't know if I would have I'm, I'm actually probably pretty positive that I wouldn't have gotten to this point without the Unilever experience, just in terms of 
understanding what it's like to be in a behemoth of a company operating supply chain and things like that. Um, that was really important for my long term. And so I think what I would tell people is you're probably not going to get both and you're not going to have if you do have the ideal dream job. Amazing. Um, but that's not a really realistic thing to think about to to strive for when you're in your 20s, I think. Um, and so I would, I guess, suggest that people just focus on sort of that long term. Now, so from there, you, you join the startup and you're kind of working through the ranks there. And you're, I mean, you're seeing from start to, I guess, finish or at least around the second, the startup that you joined? Well, so what's crazy is, yes, they're still around. Okay. Um, and what's crazy is I had just gone through, Unilever was something I had prepared my entire life for, right? I had the perfect skill set. I was an expert in consumer packaged goods, sustainability, packaging, ingredients, materials, everything. I was like ready for this role. And what happened at Unilever, because I think partly this lack of mentorship, nobody trusted me, right? It's so bureaucratic and there's such a hierarchy that I would say I have all this knowledge to share and people would say, we don't want to hear it. And that happened time and time again. And so then I switched to the startup where I had never worked for a tiny company like this. I had no idea what I was doing. And this founder of the startup, my my boss, Brian, was like, I just trust you. I, I trust that you're going to be able to do it. And he sort of threw me in the in the deep end. Um, and it was trial by fire. And I just figured it out. And so it's really interesting to compare those two situations where had someone at Unilever given me that experience, it would have been like, yeah, I deserve this. And this this makes sense for my career, whatever. When when Brian's asking me to like figure out a payroll uh, system and how to like best partner with a Starbucks, I, I really was starting from scratch and Googling a lot of stupid things at the time. But it, it ended up working because I gained that confidence of like, I guess I can do this. Talking about gaining the confidence, I mean, people either sink or swim. And if there are things that you don't know, were you constantly swimming over there times where you're just like, I need to take a break, step back. What, what was that kind of problem solving mindset when you're in those situations? I think what's been helpful for me and what I would suggest to anybody else is that I, my ego is not huge in terms of what I know and what I don't know. And I'm never afraid to sort of ask for help. And so I think a lot of people's pitfalls I would imagine is when they think that they can do everything on their own and they're too sort of proud to, to ask for anything. And I literally would call friends and be like, I don't even know what a financial, like how to do a financial model. Like I, I went to business school and still didn't know how to do like a startup financial model. Like it, that was crazy. Um, but it, it like really took a village. I just had like a ton of friends helping me Google. Literally I'd said that, but like I would, I would Google things like how to, manage, you know, a VP of designing or something like that. And um, that's really how I learned everything. Now you're, you're learning on the job. When did the idea of starting your own brand kind of come about? So I, I had this newsletter while I was still at Unilever. And so was continuing that newsletter throughout my time at Muse. Um, and then COVID hit. And this company was fairly situational, to be honest. This company that I was working for was based in Asia. I knew that as COVID was happening, whether it was, I mean, I think we thought at the time it would be like a month and look at where we are now. I knew that I wasn't moving to Asia anytime soon. That just wasn't, wasn't really in the cards. And I was 
not sure of the impact I could have so far away on the East Coast, um, especially during COVID. This was also a company that um, depended on, it was a reuse system. So you'd, you'd go get your coffee in an in a aluminum cup and then you drop it off. We'd wash it and sanitize it and, and bring it back to the cafe. That was also really unpopular in COVID. And I didn't think there was much that I could be doing from, from the United States. And so it was really a couple of days quarantining with my older sister and her boyfriend at the time, who's now her husband and my parents. And, and I literally would kind of commandeer the dinner table and just be like, can we just brainstorm how this green lizard could turn into a full-time job? Because I think, I think there's something here. And um, so it's really those early days of just like so classic whiteboarding post-its. I just loved that environment and I thought that I could be good at it. And then the idea kind of came after. Your, your idea, your business comes from a, from a really good place. And I think a lot of people, they have that, that some idea out there that they want to help out other people. Yet the, the disconnect sometimes is I can't make money in this. Where did, where did, like, I know the brainstorm you're talking about that. Where did you start actually seeing, okay, I can put together money. Was it your family? Was it just simply the brainstorming Avenue? Was it talking to other uh, startup owners or where did that actually come from to, to find a way to actually make this sustainable for yourself and, and build a business out of it? Sure. Well, this was also a lot of things to say about that. Um, this was also the time, I don't remember the exact timing or order in which things happened, but you know, um, Adam Newman was getting crushed at air at, um, we work and these massive companies were starting to implode because they didn't have a profitable sustainable model. Um, and so I remember thinking from the very beginning, like, I don't want to be one of those companies. I don't want to be like, let's just provide this for now and see how the money pans out later. I really wanted to be strategic about what that plan was. The timing worked out super well also in my favor because people joke like, oh, great time to start a company. But it actually was fantastic because all these really important people um, were pretty bored at home. They had their day jobs and then they weren't doing anything. And so I would call or email these people and say, do you have 15, 20 minutes to let me bounce some things off of you? And they would say, of course, I'm like craving something interesting to talk about. And so in those first probably March through May of that first year was such fun for me because I would just pick people's brains. And one of the main topics was like, how do we make money out of this? I know from the sustainability standpoint how this how this could work, but I'm not sure how we... Um, how we monetize it. And we got some ideas and we're able to build out a model. Ironically, what's happened now is that we are sort of like, we're, we're pre-revenue, we're not making money yet. Um, so we're kind of just seeing how things fall out and, and hope that that will happen soon. The last thing that I would be remiss not to say is that I was in a super fortunate position where I didn't need, I had savings and I didn't need to be making money immediately personally. Um, and I know that that is, likely one of the biggest barriers for entrepreneurs in those early, early days is that, yeah, they have these brilliant ideas, but can they dedicate that full time? And I, I don't, honestly, I don't know how people do that while keeping their full time job. Like I had to dive into Finch head first and not have any other distractions. I was working on it literally for probably, I don't know, 15 hours a day and just so in it that, um, that was pure luck having nothing to do with um with my approach are you able to talk about what your your plans are for finch in 
getting a revenue stream coming through? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two streams of revenue. The first is through our browser extension, which launches in this January. Um, when you are shopping on Amazon, you type in a product that you normally buy, let's say body wash, we'll show you that score and then three alternatives in case you're interested in making a better decision. If you were to decide to go with one of those uh, products that we recommended, we would get an affiliate fee for that. And that is a third party negotiated. We don't, we would never say you'll get this fee if we rate your score higher or anything like that. It's just by pure luck. Sometimes we get the, the affiliate fee, sometimes we don't. So that stream is fairly small, but it's a, it's a good way to start generating revenue. I mean, now we, we're doing that through our website. The larger monetization plan is through the data. So we are creating two types of data that's really valuable to companies. The first is we have a really advanced algorithm that shows what the environmental input is of these products and what the largest impacts are. So for instance, in a bed, the most in a mattress, excuse me, the most important things to think through are it's end of life, meaning like how it's recycled, how it's disposed. And then also whether it's a foam or spring mattress, you don't really need to worry about the transportation or any other aspects of that. That's valuable data that we're gathering right now that companies are interested in where we could, we could sell that today. Um, and then the other type of data is we're getting really valuable information from our consumers on the extension. We're able to see what people are choosing at what cost and what their journey is, right? So right now there's a lot of data on what people are buying, but not on what they were searching for and then what they ended up getting instead. And so we were we would be able to say, you know, men between the ages of 35 and 45 are 40% more likely to buy a sustainable deodorant than they are sustainable shampoo, right? They're willing to spend an extra $3 on that, but not an extra four. So we're actually able to get on the granular level behavioral data that companies don't have right now um, and that they're really craving. Where do you see uh, Finch going? Let's say if we're talking to five years from now, where do you see Lizzie and Finch going? So what's exciting about, I think, Finch is there's nothing like it that exists where we want to be in five years. So I don't know if you're familiar with NerdWallet, but NerdWallet is a great platform if you have any personal finance questions. So if you want to know what credit card you should buy or what type of mortgage you should get on your house and everything in between, you get a NerdWallet or you Google that and NerdWallet shows up and you know that it's a trusted source that you um, that you can believe, but that's also accessible and enjoyable to read. There's nothing like that that exists in the sustainability space. And so Finch, I think, is well positioned to take that where if you have any questions right now, we're starting with really like consumer packaged goods. But if you have any questions around, can I recycle this in my hometown or um, again, like what's the thing that I should be looking for when buying sunscreen for my baby? That is this one stop shop where, where you can go. If I'm being honest, I'm really excited about the launch of the browser extension. I think it's we'll learn a lot more than anything else. I don't see Finch as turning into another honey where it's the browser extension and nothing else. I think if anything, we would, um, you know, embed ourselves into another extension or just be directly B2B where if you can imagine shopping on walmart.com, you would be able to see sort by price and by sustainability. And that's powered by Finch in the background. Um, and so it's more B2B. Where do you think the, the, the biggest hiccup has been in kind of building uh, Finch? Well, that's a really good question. The biggest hiccup. Um, I have made some hiring 
mistakes, I think. Right now I have two full-time employees who I am obsessed with. Like if I could spend every single day with them, I could. And I'm every single day so grateful that they're with us. Um, I think I was so eager to just bring people in and, and got excited that uh, that someone wanted to join Finch that I didn't do the proper due diligence of here's the process in which we hire people. We're going to do background checks. We're going to set real guidelines on what you're um what you're accomplishing by when and that's gotten me in a little bit of trouble honestly where i've had to let some people go or i've had to end some contracts because the delivery wasn't there and meanwhile it's been four months and i was spent i was you know paying them but not getting that return and so i think moving forward i'd love to be able to to learn more from those mistakes and and hire people the right way I'll uh, I'll finish it off with with this question. I mean, if let's say there's a someone out there that's looking to to make a, a impact in the world, right? What suggestion do you tell people? I'm assuming being that you guys are the the website to go to 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 look at sustainability, right? There's probably a lot of people that reach out to you. Maybe just not even on the sustainability items, but other things. Hey, I want to make a difference. I want to give back or whatever it might be. What do you usually tell those people that are are looking to make a change? So there's a amazing scientist named Ayana Johnson, and she has this Venn diagram that basically is, what do you want to spend your time doing? Um, what are you good at? And what does the world need? And that center of the circle is exactly what everybody should be working on, which is individual to everyone. So for me specifically, like, I think that the world needs a complete energy shift from, from uh, oil and gas to renewables that's not my expertise and that's not what I want to spend every single day doing. And so that wasn't the best move for me. So you have to balance out sort of what does the world need most, which I think a lot of us can agree on, but then what are my unique superpowers that, that I am best suited to fulfill? Um, and what, how do I want to spend my day? Do I want to spend it talking to people or behind an Excel spreadsheet or something in, in the middle? And I think um, that's what I would suggest to people because your startup becomes or even if it's not a startup, your job is where you spend most of your time, sadly, for a lot of us. And so, or maybe not sadly, if you find something that you really love, but you have to, you have to be fully behind it um, to really make that impact. If, and I'll, I guess I, I lied a little about the last question. Well, okay, one more, one more. If let's say you're working at a company right now, right? And there's maybe products that they're um, using that maybe not, might not be the best sustainable items to use. What would be your suggestion to, for that person to talk to their upper management or how would they get across, hey, these are the things? Is there a, a proper way of doing it? Oh, that's such a good question. I think um, I think getting all the right stakeholders on your side is really crucial within a company. So it's not just going to upper management. It's talking to the janitorial staff about leaving the lights on and it's talking to um the software developers about their own thing. It's like, it takes a village again to, to get sustainability right within a company and to, to go at it at a combative, like you guys are doing it the wrong way way is not gonna work. So find commonalities between among all these right stakeholders in your company and become friends with them and then have honest conversations about how, how you can work together to improve. Well, I, I appreciate you, Lizzie. Thank you for what you're doing. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Go to Finch, 
if you want to watch the movie, you can watch the movie, but go to Finch afterwards <laughs> and actually dissect what they what they offer there. Thank you again, Lizzie, for being here. Everyone, please subscribe, please share, and go find Lizzie. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.